Welcome back to the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your sports illustrated source for all things Alabama Crimson Tide, all news and information. Uh, I am your host, Tyler Martin, and I'm joined by a recurring guest, Sports Illustrated All-American Recruiting Director, John Garcia, Jr. John, I know it's been a minute since we talked, but last time you were on here, we did a preview of National Signing Day. And obviously, you know, things are completely different now. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Tyler? I'm doing good. Um, you know, just this COVID-19, it, 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 it's got me stir-crazy in the house a little bit, John. Um, but it is good that, you know, outside of all the sport, live sports shutting down at least, that we do have recruiting year-round. Yeah, thank goodness, right? I mean, my gosh, we uh, we wouldn't really know what to do uh, at all. So, yeah, we're very, very, very blessed to be able to, to cover recruiting um, and to be able to to stay on it, really, without a hitch. You know, it's it's a change of pace, but um, for most industries, it got, you know, instantly shut down when sports got shut down. So I definitely feel blessed to cover recruiting and uh, see where this thing goes. And, uh, you know, like, I, like we were talking about, recruiting never stops, and um, – and a lot of that, and the reason why I wanted to have you on here, John, is because there's a lot of Alabama fans who, um, I, I mean, it's probably it's probably a vocal minority, um, but they're they're worried right now um, about the 2021 class, only having one commit at this time, uh, Deontay Lawson. I, and I think, John, if you know, if this COVID-19 stuff wasn't going on, it would be like, okay, Alabama's, you know, they're in position for a lot of good guys. But now with this. Uh, with your recruiting visits on hold until at least June, um, it's hard to get those guys on campus. And, and it, for Alabama, it seems like it's, it's you know the last three weeks it's been hard to get a commitment. Um, first, my question is, uh, when you talk to recruits, what are you know their kind of mindset um, behind the um, behind the COVID nineteen their their recruiting process? How are they taking it? What do you think the general consensus is? I think most prospects are taking it like we are taking it as as human beings. We're taking it as a huge sort of reality check that forces you to take a step back and prioritize things. Which which means in recruiting, doesn't you know you're not going to get a lot of commitments right now. Can Alabama pick up the phone and get ten commitments in ten minutes? Probably, but uh, you have no evaluation period. You have no off season really. So uh, it's just not something that Alabama has to do. But in terms of the normal recruit, yeah, I mean, they're slowing down and and reassessing pretty much everything at at this point, whether it's uh, their personal life, academics, what offers they have, things like that. So it's it's really, with the exception of a couple, you know, who have accelerated the process, most have approached it as, let me use this as an opportunity to truly almost reset my recruitment. So I do think that's part of the reason it's been slow in general, again, outside of a, a few kids who actually decided to accelerate the process. But the vast majority absolutely slowed it down. Yeah, and one of the things, I'm sure you get this too when you talk to recruits, but a couple of the ones I've talked to, you know, they're taking, I mean, it, it's a bummer, obviously, and it, and it sucks. And, it, and it's, you know, it, it's really crappy um, that, you know, you can't experience this part of, you know, the recruiting cycle that's so much fun. You know, and a lot of guys use these um, official business, which hopefully, you know, they're going to get to do that in the summertime. But you think of the month of May, you know, like when, when they were saying, when the NCAA pushed it back to April 15th, you talked to guys, um, they're saying, oh, yeah, we're, I've already talked to coaches, we're going to get it rescheduled for May, and now they bump it back even more. You start to question, am I really going to get these visits in? Absolutely. You know, basically all, all of spring is done. Um, and if we start getting into June, July, now it's the camp season. 
So on top of everything else, now you can't even go and say, hey, I'm, I'm good enough to play at Alabama. I'm going to go there and show them that I'm good enough to play at Alabama at, at the camp. So, yeah, I, I think this thing is going to get pretty dicey. Uh, we've seen a lot of summer events canceled whether it was what was like the Kentucky Derby, the Olympics. I mean, a lot of things that are supposed to take place well later are, are starting to get postponed or canceled altogether. So I do think there is plenty of, of cause for concern for those, those summer camps. Um, if I'm a prospect right now, I'm really looking at the offers I have, reestablishing contact with those coaches to truly figure out where I sit on their board because, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of, you know, opportunity to improve your stock outside of the evaluation point that matters the most, which is which is high school football playing on Friday nights. Um, but obviously, you know, the next opportunity for that is not till till August at the earliest. So kids are are going to really be tested when it comes to their patience and and really how badly they want scholarship offer X. Yeah, two things. Um, and Nate Oates, Alabama's basketball coach, said this in a talk conference with us, you know, you're going to find out guys who want to get better during this time, whether, you know, it's, it's shooting a hoop in their driveway um, or you see with football recruits, you know, it's them going up to maybe, you know, an empty field and putting in drills, you know, putting in their work. Or I, I think of uh, the Brockermeyer twins, you know, highly coveted offensive lineman prospects. I think of them, you know, you look on their Twitter, you look at their dad's Twitter, I mean, they're having boot camp, you know, inside their home. And it's like you're really going to find out who wants to be successful. And it's a lot harder, I think, at the high school level when you don't have as much structure not already being in a college program. There's no doubt about it. And I think the Brockermeyer brothers are, are really the exception at this point because they do have that sort of structure. First first of all, All Saints Episcopal is, is one of the more advanced high schools in terms of culture structure in the country. But beyond that, like you mentioned, their, their dad, Blake, you know, played offensive line at Texas, knows the deal. All the older brothers are either in college or uh, coaching themselves. So they've got all sorts of resources at home, which is incredibly um, fortunate and beneficial. But but really, they're the minority. Like you said, it's really about the kids who can go find the work. Most of them aren't going to be able to just do it at the house. So the recruits me and you have talked to, a lot of them said, hey, I'm pushing my, you know, announcement date back. Um you know, I remember, you know, another offensive tackle, Amarius Mims, he said, I'm going to commit in October, going to have that date there. And then Ajay Hall, you know, big-time wide receiver, said, I'm pushing it from March 14th um, to August 14th. But, John, do you know, some of these kids, you know, have already made commitments. Like, I know Landon Tingwall, you know, he's the Penn State, another big offensive line guy. Um, do you think maybe, maybe not in his case, but maybe in some of these cases for some of these prospects that they make a decision to commit um, and it might be a mistake because we talked about this on our last episode, and it was more so with basketball transfers, which is different because they've been through the recruiting cycle before. But with these guys coming out of high school, do you think um, it could be cause for concern? You know, if they commit, I mean, they could make a mistake. You know, maybe not fully doing their enough, doing enough research, or no matter what it is, maybe make a mistake in their commitment. Yeah, sure. And this and this is where your your sort of camp comes in. You know. Your relationship with your high school coach shines through in, in moments like this. The relationship with your parents shine through in moments like this uh, because it is easy. Like you said, if you're taking a step back and you're frustrated and you, you do have some opportunities, you might, you know, as these quarantine days progress and it, feel, it feels like it's already been months and it really hasn't, 
um, you might sort of get stir crazy with your recruitment and say, you know what, I'm calling up Toledo and I'm going to be a rocket right now. Like it's done. Like, let's just do this. So then it, it usually defaults to that next person in your camp, high school coach, mom, dad, brother, somebody, mentor, seven on seven coach, track coach, somebody to say, hold on now, you know, Mr. Johnson, like let's slow down. And, and if we're going to, you know, this process is going to play out the way it's going to play out. So let's, let's take advantage of this extra time and maybe take in some virtual tours and accept some of the virtual recruiting that is becoming pretty much necessary by all of these, these coaches. And, and you never know what that means for other prospects on the board. So I think the, the one advantage um, that every recruit has right now is that everyone's on this level playing field when it comes to where they stand. It's not like, you know, only a certain state or region is, is held back and the other ones are, are rolling, getting evaluated, all that stuff. Everyone's on this level, weird, unprecedented playing field. Um, so you should be able to, to sort of search nationally and say, okay, well, it's not like 300 kids have committed since this all went down. So maybe I can take my time a little bit, even if I was thinking about making that early decision or an emotional, frustrated type of decision. You always want to make the biggest choices of your life in general where there's as much, you know, calm and clarity as possible going into that decision. And for the, a lot of these kids, it's getting on campus. It's bringing mom on campus. It's experiencing a game day. So many things that we just can't do right now. Yes, I completely agree, John. But before we dive into some Alabama-centric stuff, let's talk about just recruiting um, as a whole. And, and you know, I don't, I, you guys at SI American, I don't know if you've released your, you know, your rankings yet for the 2021 class. You might have done some early ones, but you know, you know, the other day I'm looking and then you know I know 24/7 Sports number one rated uh, running back, you know, Trevion Henderson. He commits to Ohio State, and you know I'm looking at Ohio State, who they've got um, as one, you know, they're already one of the premier programs in the country. They've got 15 guys in their class. Clemson's got 10. Florida's got 13. You know, heck, North Carolina. Matt Brown is doing a tremendous job. They've got 11. Um, you know, do you think Alabama just having one right now is cause for concern? I think to some degree, yes. Um, well, I also think that this was the overall plan early. I'm not saying right now, but early it did seem like Alabama was, was going to play it slowly in terms of getting into 2021 with verbal commitments. Everybody knows Alabama is one of these programs that has always been very willing to recruit early, very willing to accept verbal commitments two years in advance, sometimes three years in advance. Um, and it hasn't always worked out, whether it means the prospect's development or, you know, a kid's recruitment getting crazy after the fact. So I do think some of those things, when you factor in the transfer portal and just how fluid and mobile these, these roster management situations have become, I do think the Alabama approach was let's take it slow patient and take our time out of the gates in 2021. Of course, you could not have anticipated the coronavirus doing what it has done to recruiting. Um, so obviously, if you would have known that, you would have wanted an accelerated start like Ohio State, Florida, North Carolina, Clemson, some of those schools that you mentioned. Uh, but I do believe that the plan for Alabama was initially to be slower out of the gates. And like I said before, could it call up, you know, like the best kid in Birmingham, not named Kool-Aid McKinsey? and push for a commitment and probably get it, yes, that that is certainly there. But I do think that those same uh, red flags that, that 
have maybe caused Alabama to slow out, be slow out of the gates are the reason they're not going to call and say, hey, jump on board right now. I'm not saying other programs have done that, but the, the programs who have wanted to do so to take advantage have been able to during this time. And I think all of those scenarios where, where the, those schools have so many verbal commitments is pretty unique. Ohio State was basically running away with this top group already, whether it's the DV out of St. Louis they picked up, Travion Henderson, as you mentioned, definitely my running back one right now uh, in my uh, FI All-American prospect watch list. Um, so, yeah, they, they had sort of an entrenched lead with some of these prospects, and they pounced on it. Uh, same thing with Clemson. I think North Carolina has done the best job of taking advantage of the situation relative to the region. They've really focused on in-state prospects and neighboring state prospects. So they've they've hit on seven or eight kids from North Carolina, kids from Tennessee there in the region in this meantime. So I, I do think it's a little bit of Bama and nobody was ready for the coronavirus, you know, mixed in with they were coming slow out of the gate. So um, it, it shouldn't be a huge surprise to see Bama slower out of the gate in general. But, of course, now when do you flip the switch, Tyler? When do you say – okay, we, we do need to hit the gas because now the NCAA dead period is, is so much longer, and we don't know about summer camps. When do you sort of make that call? And, and for me, it would be whether or not those summer camps get canceled because Bama is one of these programs that really relies on that, that summer camp impression. You, you don't get Xavier McKinney without that summer camp. You don't get uh, Deontay Thompson without his Alabama camp performance. Um, Ronnie Harrison from Tallahassee. He comes to Bama camps and, and really flips Alabama's board at the safety position. Amari um, Cooper doesn't get a Bama offer because he was injured as a junior. You know, he went to Bama and earned it and walked away basically as a verbal commitment. So I think once that portion of the calendar gets put in jeopardy, now you start to panic a little bit if you're Nick Saban and say, okay, maybe we do need to accelerate this thing. But until then, I, I think you see Alabama sort of play it safe, if you will. Another thing I think fans have got to remember, um, and Chris, our editor, Chris Walsh, has a uh, has a column up there today. You know, after the next day teleconference, uh, talking about how you know there's probably no better coach in the country to come out of a spring shutdown um, and you know use that to an advantage. And Alabama fans got to remember, Nick Saban just didn't forget how to recruit, right? <laughs> yeah, I can confirm that. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, Nick, Nick Saban's not, not out here on Twitter, but he is on Facetime. He is working the phones. Trust me, when the NFL draft is coming, you know this, Tyler. You've you've covered Alabama recruiting. Everybody who's ever covered Alabama recruiting knows. NFL draft night, yes, you're going to be retweeting some Alabama stuff because those guys are getting drafted. But you also know Nick Saban is contacting kids. It's usually from the green room, but, of course, this year it's going to be all digital. So we'll see how creative Alabama gets. And they've started to send out some draft edits now that we are in NFL draft month. Um, but we'll see what they do. But we, we know that there's always Nick Saban contact during that first round of the draft when all eyes, especially this year, are on the future of football. You know, he really takes advantage of that. So I expect, expect that to continue. And, and I think, like you said, um, there's not many better handled to come out of this positively um, than a structured program with no question marks. Because if you're an Alabama fan and, you, and you're worried, imagine – if you're a Michigan state fan and you have a new coach or a Florida state fan or one of these programs that are in a transition year or a year where, man, this coach is, is about to be on the hot seat kind of year. You know, imagine if you're a fan 
of that type of program where you really can't gain any traction because the kids either don't be there or they don't know who the heck you are relative to that school. So Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, um, some of these programs that are entrenched and we know exactly what we're going to get there, they're the ones that could benefit the most the crazier recruiting gets because you know exactly what you're going to get in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban um, in this program. So I do think that there are built-in advantages for UA in general, um, and, and we shouldn't panic quite yet. Like I said, when you get to the summer and, and maybe when, when those things start getting canceled, then you start to worry a little bit. Um, but before that point, I, I would sort of trust the process for a lack of a better phrase. Let's let's flip the switch right here, John. Let's get into some prospects. Let's talk about them. You know, I think it's really interesting. Uh, well, I mean, obviously Alabama, you know, programs like Alabama, they're going to be in the mix for the top talent in the country every year. But, you know, you look at two of the best overall prospects in the country, and they're two tackles. Um, we mentioned them earlier. We mentioned both of them, actually, Marius Mims and Tommy Brockermeyer. Uh, first, John, oh, i got a question for you. If you're doing a draft, which we'll actually probably do later on, um, we'll pick our five guys. Um, who for Nick Saban, we'll get them right now, and we'll do that, our five best project prospects. But when you're, when you're uh, talking about Tommy and uh, Amarius, who is your offensive tackle number one? You know, it's so close, and, and this is really a tough eval because the only time we would have seen them together competing would have been at the Future 50 in January, but both guys are injured. So we didn't see either guy competing uh, against fellow elite prospects. So – you have to go on older tapes. You have to go on what you saw from them earlier in their careers. I think athletically, Mims is one step ahead, but I think everywhere else, I'd take Brockermeyer. So it really becomes a question of projection. Are you talking about which guy do I need to, to start at left tackle day one, which, which I would probably take Brockermeyer. But if you're talking four or five years from now, higher in the draft, it could very well the men, but these are the clear top two tackles in the country to me. Both guys offer prototypical tools. Uh, you're talking both six, 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 seven, right around 300 pounds. They don't look like they're 300 pounds. They both carry it incredibly well. Both really athletic. Both incredibly strong, mobile, um, and and really it's just going to be a matter of, of like everything with the offensive line position development and polish. How how soon do you buy into those things? And I think. All those things considered, especially with the coronavirus, I think Brockermeyer could sort of create and carve out a little bit more benefit of the doubt, not only because he has that great structure at home with his father and everyone, you know, in that boot camp, but also because you might get a pretty darn good center alongside if you do get Tommy Brockermeyer and his brother James, who was was the the winningest prospect to compete at the Future 50. So Tommy went there. There was a little bit of air left out of the room, but James really set the tone for that entire camp going against guys like Mason Smith and really top prospects across the board and more than holding his own. I think he won the highest percentage of reps, and he was working at center. So that's, that's a heck of a consolation prize if you're Alabama. So all things even, I'd lean Brockermeyer very, very barely over Mims, but, but I think both of them are can't-miss types. So – Mims, he releases his top ten this week, and he re- he did it in an interesting fashion. Yeah, you know, he, he released a graphic or whatever, but he talked to uh, talked to the media at 24-7 Sports and announced them actually in order. I don't know if you saw this, John. You probably did. He announced them in order, and Alabama was number one on his list as of right now, and Georgia was number two. Now, um, 
Now, obviously, he's not announcing his decision until October, and things mm-hmm. can change. Things all, I mean, that's a long way away from it right now. It feels like it's an eternity away. And then Tommy Brockermeyer, on the other hand, you know, he's got the Texas legacy, you know, lineage in front of him and the pressure there. Um, and Al, Alabama's obviously right there with him, too. But does, does, Al, does Alabama have a realistic shot to land both these guys? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think if you were handicapping it without the kids announcing their top groups, I think I don't think Alabama could be worse than third for either guy. Uh, look, if I had to to make a prediction on either, I would say Mims Georgia is his number one, and I would say with Tommy, it's really between Alabama and Clemson. I think for him, uh, I was talking to him at the Future Fifty. You know, it wasn't for a story; we were just kind of catching up, and he's like, "Look." You, you notice in the top five, it's all heavy, heavy hitters, and then Texas. You know, heavy SEC and ACC, and then Texas. You know, and I think he's obviously incredibly tied in there, but but part of me with legacy prospects feels, you know, the longer this thing goes without them jumping on board on that legacy, the more you sort of have to question it. You know, if he knows everything about Texas the moment he gets his first offer, Right. You know, commit at that point if you know that you're going there no matter what. And Tommy's a no-nonsense kid. So is his brother. So is his dad. So is his head coach, who I talked to last week. Um, they're non, no-nonsense kind of kids. So he is not a lock for Texas. That much I know. Um, so I'd put Alabama, Clemson, Texas as, as Tommy's top three. And for Mims, it's, it really feels like, you know, a Georgia-Bama battle with a sprinkle of Auburn there uh, just because of the location. But I do think that uh, Georgia's going to be very hard to beat for Mims, you know, at the end of the day. So can Bama get both? Yes. How likely is it? You know, I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, they were really slow on the offensive line last cycle. And from back then, I was being told it was to build up to a huge 2021 haul, both in volume and talent on the offensive line, um, and you can't get much better than Brockemeyer and Mims, one or the other. And if you get both, then you've already put in the best O-line class, no matter who you fill it out with. Uh, so that is that is the goal. That's, that's where Bama's aiming, no doubt. Let's move off to a, another uh, in-state product. You mentioned a move earlier. I think, you know, obviously my favorite name in this entire class, Quincy Kool-Aid McKinstry out of Pinson. Um, you know, obviously an elite level athlete, plays two sports. You know, he's he's gonna play, he's gonna play both in college. Uh, what what are you hearing anything about him? Uh, you know, because you know, and Alabama's I think they're in a good spot, but um, Auburn and Clemson are right there behind them. Yeah, this one is is much more uh, widespread. I think the basketball element really makes this thing interesting for Kool Aid. He you know he wants to go check out these basketball schools. You know, he wants to go out west. He wants to see USC and Oregon and UCLA um, and and, and check those guys out. He wants to get over to, you know, LSU, Georgia, Bama, Auburn, Clemson. There's so many schools on his list. At one point he told me the the biggest offer he wanted that he didn't have was Miami. Uh, And now he, of course, has it. So um, he's really sort of a wild card. It reminds me of, of just one of those prospects who's never really going to give you anything concrete, you know, um, but before something big goes down. Henry Ruggs, you know, attacked the process that way from a media perspective. Justin Ross, 
approached it that way. And obviously for Alabama, it worked out with one of those guys and not the other. So you wonder how that factors in with McKinstry. Now, you know, Auburn, I do think, is is the safest bet today. We we all know he's a Princeton Valley guy, played with Bo Nix, played for Patrick Nix, has been to Auburn a million times. I think if you had to predict the safest bet, it would be Auburn. But, again, this is a kid who does not feel safe to predict barely anything on. I can't even tell you, Tyler, what position he's going to play in, in football. I mean, he really thinks he can be a legit wide receiver one for university. Uh, so, you know, we all think he's a great defensive back, and that's where his ceiling will be if, if he wants to play on Sundays. But he is a very good wide receiver who wants to play that position and probably prefers it just a little bit more at this moment. Now, he's not against DB or anything like that, and he understands, you know, position of priority is, is probably on that side of the ball. But my point is, you know, you talk to him three times, he might give you three different re- responses to the position question. How much is basketball going to factor into this thing? You know, that's another huge point in this recruitment. Uh, and that's really unknown at this point. You know, he wants to play both, like you said, Tyler. Does that is, is that the mission six months from now? I, I don't know. I don't have that answer. So there's so much sort of room for twists and turns with Kool-Aid's recruitment that it's really hard to handicap it at this point. But there is no doubt Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia will be in it basically until the end. I could see Clemson coming in and out, same thing with LSU and maybe Florida, but that that triangle, if you will, of, of Athens, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, and Tuscaloosa, Alabama, they're, they're going to stay in that hunt all the way until the end. It's just a matter of who else is going to truly emerge as a contender. Uh, it could be one of the schools in the Sunshine State, like I said, he wants to go out west. I could see Oregon and Mario Cristobal really honing in and trying to dig into the state of Alabama one more time. So, so this thing can get a little crazy, I think, as time goes on. But, but of course, the in-state schools are going to remain in that hunt for Kool-Aid, and, and so will Georgia. Yeah, he's a must-get in my mind for this Alabama class. Cornerback and I mean, defensive backfield, obviously, is a position of need for Alabama in 2021. You look at Patrick Sertain. He's more than likely headed to the NFL, potentially Josh Job as well. And then Ronald Williams, the JUCO uh, commit in the 2020 class, or signees early enrollee, you know, out saving when he recruits JUCO guys, it's about are you ready to come in and compete? And um, you look at guys like Isaiah Bugs or Jerron Reed in the past, you know, those are decent line guys, but they were came in, they ready to compete, and look, they're at the NFL level now. And so, you know, Ronald Williams potentially could have an NFL decision in front of him. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's – I mean, Kool-Aid is a must-get guy for this Alabama class. Yeah, totally understandable. That's, you know, O-line's a huge priority. DB is a huge priority in this class. Um, there's there's no doubt about those two positions. Um, and, and, yeah, Kool-Aid, you know, with with Ohio State getting their guy, and Tony Grimes is, is real – you know, he's similar in terms of elite corner. Nobody really feels great about any one school at this moment. I mean, there's some Georgia love at, right now. Um, you know, outside of those guys, it's pretty much Kool-Aid. So, yeah, you got to hit on one of these elite guys. I mean, he, he just fits that Nick Saban profile to a T, 6'1", 180. I mean, that, that's what Nick wants at corner, um, which we know, you know, he has such a strong hand in um, at Alabama, both from a recruiting and coaching standpoint. So, yeah, must get is a very safe label to put 
on Kool-Aid, but uh, everything after that is not going to be very safe. That is going to be, again, like the guys I mentioned before, Ruggs, Justin Ross. I mean, he's one of those guys in state that it's going to be a push-pull and a true recruiting war until the bitter end, and I expect all of those participating programs to, to do, you know, to, to go all out for him because he's that good, he's that talented. John, let's close it with this. Let's do a, a little mock draft of this 2021 class here. You're Nick Saban. You get, I mean, these guys you're about to pick or who would be hypothetically on your team, I'll give you the first pick. Um, we'll go We'll go, We'll go. go snake style. So um, you'll <laughs> go, then, then I'll go twice, then back to you twice, and then uh, back to me. Um, so, yeah. So let's do that. Um, you get any choice, uh, any any choice of any non-committed guys at this moment right now. Without further ado, here's uh, the number one overall pick in this class of 2021 mock draft. So, so, so this is this is for just for Alabama, um, for what they need kind of thing, or just in general. Um, we can do. Let's just do just in general. Just it doesn't. It doesn't I'm gonna tell you this. It doesn't affect my first pick. I'll tell you. Okay. That. That's fine. All right. So it's general or is it Alabama? It could, like I said, first pick doesn't, isn't affected, but I'm curious. Okay, let's do that. Alabama. Let's do Alabama. Okay. Well, um, not many people are – well, I guess they are now focused on the quarterback position uh, after Drake May flipped to, to UNC, which was not a huge surprise. But you got to build that quarterback room. Uh, you have to – and this is a theoretical where everybody's considering everybody, right? So – I can pick a kid who's not really looking at Alabama? Yes. Okay. Yes. Good, because this kid's not going to Alabama. But if I were Nick Saban in my dream world, I'd have Caleb Williams first off the board. I think that uh, you have to get a dynamic recruiter to sort of, not salvage, because that's not the right word, but just to sort of get the class going a little bit. I, won't, I don't want to say late, but – it needs some juice, and I think even Nick Saban will tell you that. It's, it's going to need some juice, so who better than, for me, the top quarterback in the country, dual threat, fits what you do. You know, reminds you of Jalen Hurts when you watch him a little bit on video, uh, maybe a more polished Jalen Hurts. Um, he's the guy. He's that sort of recruit that's still uncommitted right now that, that has this sort of gravitational pull. Um, so I think both for on-field reasons and for recruiting reasons, Caleb Williams would be my my first pick. Yeah, you know what? I'm going. To, we, we we talked about him earlier, and you know I'm just going to take him before you can get to him. I'm going to take Tommy Brockermeyer. Uh, you look at this tackle position. You've got Alex Leatherwood there for 2020, but he's obviously going to graduate. Um, and you could have Javion Cohen step up and, and fit that. He is, you know, he is. A, you think of all the tools of a left tackle. You think of. Uh, Javion Cohen, um, but you could play around the offensive line there, and you uh, you can't have too many guys in the trenches, right? So uh, I'll I'll take Tommy with my first uh, my first pick. Yeah, that's a good one. I was I was about to go O line as well, but since you took care of O line, I'll I'll flip over uh, to defense. I'll flip over to defense, and I'll go in the secondary. And and you know what? We we just talked about him. Let's go Kool Aid because now you're talking about. I'm really I love Tony Grimes. I love what he can do. I think he's more versatile than Kool Aid as a defensive back. I think he can play safety or corner to where Kool Aid, I think, is purely a corner in the secondary. But the kicker for me is is he's an in-state guy. He's he's the most famous recruit in state, the most well-known, and he's the guy. Again, we're talking about juice for Alabama. 
something to really get the needle moving and, and getting a kid like Tony Grimes out of Virginia would be huge, right? Cause he's probably the best available DB, but nothing like getting a kid in the Birmingham area, a winner and beating your rivals to do it. Uh, so I think for on and off the field recruiting reasons, Kool-Aid McKinstry would, would be my, my next pick. Okay. I, I love that. You know, uh, I love that pick. I, for me, this one, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in the trenches here, but it's gonna be on the defensive side. We're gonna stay in the Yellowhammer State, and John, I'm gonna throw this one at you, Dylan Brooks out of Handley High School down in Roanoke. Um, I, you know, I, he's a he's a monster, man. I mean, you know, it's it doesn't seem like it's fair sometimes that you know he has to go against uh, high school offensive linemen. <laughs> doesn't look like they belong to be on the same field together. Um, but you know, he's a guy who you know you know Tennessee right there too, Auburn. You know, he's considered you know obviously an Auburn lean, but um, there's some SEC schools flirting with him, and you know he would obviously be a massive gift for Alabama. But um, but you know for pass rush, you think of Alabama when they're really successful, why? It's because they're generating that pass rush, getting at the quarterback, and uh, you're you're gonna have a hard time finding other guys in this class to do that outside of Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I'm a fan of Dylan. I've, I've watched him for several years. He's just he's so raw, still playing basketball. His his best football maybe two or three years from now, which you know. It's something that that makes you sort of salivate as a recruiter because you know that he's already pretty darn good. So, yeah, I, I completely understand that pick. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Christian Miller actually watching him uh, on tape at the same stage. All right, so you got the pass rusher. I got the DB and the quarterback. You hit offensive tackle. So now I think we got to go. We've got to go outside. You know, this receiver class. That just departed is, is so legendary for Alabama, right? You're talking Judy, you're talking Rugs, Smitty, who's still there, uh, Waddle, but these guys aren't going to be there forever, right? So I think that forces you to think about the next wave of wide receiver uh, for Alabama. And in that mold of that 17 wide receiver hall, getting guys who were undersized as opposed to the big, strong Julio Jones wide receiver one looking guys. I'm going to go back to that mold. I'm going to go down to Florida. I'm biased, I know. I'll go with Mario Williams. I think this is a guy who changes the flexibility and comfort for the quarterback. And you got to think, moving forward, Alabama going to get real young and, or I should say real inexperienced at quarterback beyond 2020, right? So – what can you do with things like that? You, you need a security blanket, and most people go to the tight end position for that guy, but I'll go with the best slot receiver in the country, Mario Williams, Plant City, Florida. This kid is ultra-productive and just an alpha one-on-one who can win in the slot. It's spread football heaven. He's a reliable guy underneath who on third and sixth you know can beat his man one-on-one. Reminds me a lot of T.Y. Hilton of the Indianapolis Colts. Um, so I'm a huge, higher than most on Mario Williams, and I think Bama's receiving core is one of those groups that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I, I'm going to stay on offense. And this, this guy's obviously not going to be the most flashiest guy out there. You know, he's not a receiver, um, but he gets it done, you know, with pass catching and blocking. I'm going the tight end route, John. I'm going, I'm going up north Tennessee, going to grab Hudson Wolf. Um, you know, he just announced his top five. Uh, you got Ole Miss, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. Uh, you know, he, he does it all really well. Um, you know, he's 6'6", 235 pounds. He, you know, like I said, he catches, he blocks. He, you know, he does it with ease. 
And um, in Alabama, you know, when they're really successful and their offense is really going, you saw you saw it kind of with LSU this year, you know, with Thaddeus Moss, um, a big tight end who's kind of a red zone mismatch. Um, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think Alabama, you know, they missed out on the big tight ends last year with um, the 2020 class with Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington. But, um, but you know, I think a guy like Hudson Wolf could come in and contribute, um, you know, at a level that's, you know, it's going to be really uh, admirable um, in 2021 and beyond. Yeah, no doubt. Tight end is, is as important, maybe more important than, than it's ever been in, in an offense. So certainly understand that pick. Uh, I'm going back to defense, Tyler. Going back, uh, you you address one area of the trenches with Dylan Brooks, so you got your your long and lean edge guy. So we need an inside guy. We need a guy who can occupy some linemen, make some splash plays on his own, stopping the run. So I'm going back to, to my, my hometown, Miami, Florida. Give me Leonard Taylor. This is a guy who not a lot of people were talking about a year ago, but has really sort of ascended to that conversation as, is, is he the best defensive lineman in the country? I love JT Tui Maolao. I love Corey Foreman, the Clemson commit. Um, I think it's a great trench class. Keyshawn Silver, who's going to North Carolina, committed uh, last month, is a monster in the making. But give me Leonard Taylor. All things even, he can play more positions up front. And we've seen Alabama have so much success with that type of guy. Think of a Quinnen Williams. He can line up outside, inside. Jonathan Allen, that might be a better comp for Leonard Taylor. He's a guy who can control the line of scrimmage, against different types of offensive linemen, and he's quick enough to play as a pass rusher on the inside. So if you've got Brooks rushing from the outside, we'll have Taylor rushing from the inside, and that way, you know, the SEC uh, spread offenses are slowed down just a little bit more. We mentioned defensive back. This is, this is our fourth. That was just your fourth pick. This will be my fourth. Um, and I, we just did a story on him on Bama Central. Um, you know, I went back and watched the total, watched some highlights, and I, I honestly think he's probably the most versatile player um, outside of Kool-Aid in this in this class, and that's Sage Ryan out of Louisiana. Um, he's hard-hitting, man. Golly, you just go watch his highlights. He is laying the wood on some of these kids. Um, I feel for him. But, uh, but yeah, you know, like I said, he, he can do it all. You know, he can play safety. He can play corner and then put him on offense. He can do receiver. He can do running back. Now, he's obviously being recruited as a defensive back, so he'll fill that need. Um, but I like Sage Ryan. You know, he's you know, obviously LSU, another legacy guy there with his cousin um, Kevin and his uncle Trevor, who was a uh, was a linebacker for the Tigers. Um, but I, I like Sage Ryan. You know, he was at Alabama. Um, you know, earlier this month for the COVID nineteen you know crisis happened. Um, but I think you know, very 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 high ceiling guy. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. Uh, you need you need versatility when you're building a team, right? That's why we just our last two guys were guys. You can uh, move around. Well, I'm going to stay in the trenches. You know what? I'm I'm feeling like a Bama recruiter because I'm just talking D-lineman right now. <laughs> so let me get a big, true interior guy. So we got the long and lean edge guy with Brooks. We got the tweener with Taylor. Let's get a true zero, one, two, three tech kind of guy. Mason Smith out of Louisiana. I don't know this is my last pick. I'll round it out with Mason Smith because now I got the best trench group in the nation. <laughs> so now, now I can compete with Clemson's D-line recruiting hall from last cycle. Now we can compete with something like that. 
uh, and try to go get some wins uh, day one with these guys on campus. Mason Smith is just sort of the new age or the old age defensive tackle who's transformed into this age. Wide body, 300-plus pounds, but quick and violent hands. Tyler, this, this guy at the future 50, everybody struggled blocking Mason Smith without pads on. And he wasn't bull rushing. He was using his moves and his leverage. So imagine dealing with him with full gear, able to truly get up under you uh, and catch you off guard. Mason Smith is, is maybe the biggest force in this country in a phone booth, and there's still room for that uh, in today's college football. So give me solidify this amazing D-line for us here at Alabama, theoretically, with Mason Smith. I feel good about that group. Um. You know what, John? I, I thought you were – I mean, Masonson, obviously, great choice, great selection. I'm going to stay in the D-line group as well um, just because, I mean, they're just so necessary. And uh, this is a guy I might be a little biased toward, another Alabama product. Um, and I honestly, you look at the recruiting rankings, I think this guy's underrated, man. I think he's severely underrated, and that's Tim Keenan. I know, you know, he, he has 6'1", you know, 3'4". I mean, he's, a, he's obviously a big guy. Um, yeah, we got a huge defensive interior right now. We're we're good. You're not running on us inside. No, not at all. I, that's the way I like it. I, I want that. I want that old school, you know, defensive minded uh, kind of game. But you know, Tim Keenan obviously disruptive with his hands. You know, he's quick for his size. Um, he throws around. You know, uh, centers and guards um, like like they're rag dolls basically. But um, but no, I you know I think like I said I think this guy's severely underrated. And I talked about how Kool Aid was a must get for Alabama. I think Tim Keenan's going to must get for Alabama. He's a mini Quinnen Williams in my mind. I think any version of Quinnen Williams Bama fans and Bama themselves would be pretty happy with. So I don't blame you there. Defense is good to go. I think the draft is very much a winner there. Awesome. Well, John, that was fun, man. Thanks for hopping on here talking a little recruiting. And, uh, you know, John said it earlier to listeners, it's okay. Trust the process. Nick Saban did not forget how to recruit. Yeah, yeah, he didn't forget. We think, right? Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not. It'll hopefully be not. just fine, and they'll contend for the top class in the SEC once again. I don't know about number one overall. Ohio State, Clemson are doing whatever they want on the trail right now, but the top of the SEC is always a good starting point in in terms of recruiting, and I think Bama will be right in thick of it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening, and thank you, John, for being on here. Uh, make sure you guys go like and subscribe and rate. Um, go listen to the former episodes if you've got some time. We've got, you know, current Baltimore Raven Bradley Bozeman. We've got some other former Alabama players on there. Um, we've got, you know, Eli Gold, obviously famous Alabama broadcaster. Go check out some former episodes. And um, y'all be safe, practice social distancing, and be healthy. So thanks again, John. Hey, Tyler. Yeah, take care of yourself, brother.